And welcome to Not Your Normal History Podcast Show. I am your host, Jeremy Wallinson, with my co-host, Austin Manchi. How are you tonight? Hello, hello. I am good. I'm good. I'm ready. I'm really eager to knock this one out. I'm really excited. This one's going to be fun. I think we've been talking about this for a while. Um, having this format is what I mean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... It went back to a conversation we had about uh, U.S. history. We we're talking about like the best generals ever. It was just kind of going on with this play about like a like a fantasy draft, and you know, I thought it was kind of funny that on the same night the NFL's having a virtual draft because of this uh, coronavirus thing going on. You know, um, be kind of interesting to have what we have in store for everybody tonight. So, before we really get started with everything, um, I wanted to kind of give a shout out. You have your own podcast channel. I do. So why don't you tell the listeners what it is this is about? I've heard a few of them. It's really uplifting. I see you get a lot of compliments on it. What can you tell us? Yeah. So first of all, thanks for the listen. Everyone counts. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so, yeah, basically it's just – words of encouragement i'm trying to kind of, it's 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 still a work in progress it's still kind of like in that pilot stage where i'm trying out a few things and they're just real short two three minutes whatever some people you know refer to them as like a rapper a song whatever it's really not it's honestly just kind of like if anything poetry if that but um it's definitely encouraging and you know with the world that that we're living in today it's definitely something that a lot of people need um, but I'm definitely trying to incorporate something longer that I can kind of, you know, more bang for your buck when, you know, not just like a two, three minute little, cause like, to me, that's not really even a podcast. That's kind of just like a YouTube video. So I'm trying to kind of figure out some sort of theme to kind of incorporate with the channel itself to make a bigger type of series where it could go on, you know, guess stuff, stuff kind of like what we're doing right now. So it's definitely a work in progress, but so far so good. Well, I was going to say when I, I listened to the one the other day and it really did come off like a, a rap and I'm listening to this. And if anybody's an old school, God, I say old school, <laughs> somebody who watched, you know, older wrestling, you know, early 2000s, it totally sounds like John Cena, Dr. Thugonomics. So if anyone remembers that, it kind of reminded me of that. So when you start <laughs> dissing on other people one day, I'm going to be like, Ah, there's there's Cena right there. Yeah, you'll be like, I knew it way back when, right? <laughs> there you go. There's your calling. That's right. <laughs> That's good. Well, you know, um, good luck to that. I hope that what you have in store, your vision, becomes success. Um, everybody has to have something. And I really hope that you can take it to the next level and, you know, those wonders for you. Yeah, well, thank you. And also, thank you for having me on the show. I know... Uh, you know, you, you do outstanding work. You put in the effort. You're very dedicated, you know, even just going back to your earlier podcasts and whatnot that I also, you know, I, I kind of, you know, listened and I, I can already tell, you know, with, with ideas that you fetched to me so far that, you know, you're putting in that work, you're putting in that commitment. And I can already tell you right now that this channel is going to blow up and you got my support and you know you got all these ideas and plans and it's just it's gonna it's gonna prosper i'm telling you it's 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 gonna boom yeah i hope so i that's kind of the envisionment i have um you know it wasn't it wasn't i want to say it was a smooth path to get to that conclusion i mean there was a lot of uh thoughts that went through my head about even coming back to do this 
And I think that with everything going on in the, the world right now and trying to find hobbies and what people are going through, it just kind of is just like another option mm-hmm. for what people can listen to. I mean, as I said before in our private conversations, and I've also mentioned it on the previous podcast I did the other night, is the kind of rebirth of the channel was let's just talk about historical stuff. Like I don't need to just lecture people and, and do that because I think that the engagement factor is how many people are going to want to sit around and listen to a lecture for an hour. I would, if I was in their shoes, listen to somebody, but everybody's, you know, like me. So I kind of wanted to change it up and have like a, like a freestyle free form historical thing. You know, like I said, you know, people hanging out, you're hanging out with your buddies and it's like, Hey, what if, what if, what if Hitler didn't invade Russia or what if he, you know, would have invaded Britain or what if Napoleon would have won at Waterloo? It's like these, these, you know, conversations that people like to have that I, you don't find them anywhere. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, it's very casual and easygoing and yeah, it, it doesn't need to come off as like a lecture, you know, it's just two guys, you know, having a simple conversation, expressing ideas and interests and, you know, stuff like that. Exactly. And I hope that as the channel, just channel podcast builds, the show builds, uh, anybody out there listening, if you have interest in history, uh, if there's topics that you want to hear about, hey, shoot us a line. Um, always willing to, you know, discuss different things. Um, but I think what we got in store tonight for everybody uh, is something a little fun, a little different. Uh, and why don't you let everybody know kind of this idea we had and the criteria that we have set up for what we're about to tell everybody. Well, I would be honored. Okay. So <laughs> what we have is this idea, right? We're okay. So I'm choosing, uh, you know, we're, we're going to go through, through the weeks and the buildup and whatnot, but we're pretty much taking five who we believe to be the top five generals in us history. Right. So, and, and it's random. I don't know who, what five you have. You don't know what five I have. They might be the same. They might be polar opposites. Who knows? But um, it's kind of like a deathmatch battle royale type of thing where we're going to, you know, come up with our five by week five or however, how, however long it takes us. And then we'll kind of compile the ultimate, you know, the ultimate general, you know, essentially mm-hmm. the, the top, the top of the top. And uh, so the criteria that we're basing it off of is a. Uh, uh, we're going to be looking at wisdom, integrity, compassion, and courage. So those are the four, uh, that's, that's the criteria that we're going to be basing these guys off of. We're not talking about, you know, the equipment they use, the machinery, stuff like that. We're just looking at them solely based on their characteristics as a military leader. Exactly. So what we're basically talking about here is that we're almost doing like a fantasy U.S. historical general draft here in a way. Or we're, we're picking we have this criteria as Austin just mentioned. And what this ranking is, is we have five star down to single star. And it doesn't mean historically that they're not supposed to be in these positions. This is just us really building our own, say chief of staff, our own generalship. Like if you got to start an army, here's the five you're going with. And here's why that's what we're doing tonight. And we're going to have some fun with it. Um, I hope everybody mm-hmm. out there is going to be able to learn something new about the, the individuals we pick. And again, like Austin said, I don't know who he has right now and he doesn't know who I have. So this is going to kind of be a, you know, 
shock to both of us, but uh, we're going to have fun with it. And uh, I don't know, Austin, what do you, uh, what do you got to say before we uh, do the uh, unveiling? I'm getting antsy, man. I just, I, I want to get into this. I'm really excited. <laughs> so am I. I mean, we've, we've been doing the research. I feel like I'm back in freaking school again, putting together a paper and at least it wasn't 20 pages like my final was for college. So, um, I guess further ado, I will give you the honors to go ahead and give me your first one-star general for this battle royale. The floor is yours. All right, let the games begin. Okay, so I kind of want to give you a little bit of a buildup before I actually reveal. So my individual is a general that I based, you know, this guy, he, he's, he's just, he's a savage. He's, he's fearless. He's got the courage. He's got the bravery. He's just, he, he uses his mind as his ultimate weapon. He's not scared of anything. And he'll, yeah, he, he'll, he's, he's straight up, um, you know, he's, he's, he's a real one. He, he's not scared of anything and he'll, he definitely can uh, dominate a battlefield. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, whoa, whoa. I never served, so I don't know how this is about me now. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was nice. Thanks, that was a nice touch. Hey. <laughs> but, however, I just want to give a little quote of this individual, and it goes, you are part of the world's most feared and trusted force. Engage your brain before you engage your weapon. And that is a perfect way to kind of shape this character and that is no other than the notorious james mad dog mattis Ooh, okay? all right that's right that's okay right. coming out of nowhere i know i know if anyone watched generation kill you've you've seen him yep that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> did i throw you for a loop on that one <laughs> i i'll be honest i was seriously not expecting that on the historical line um you know, to be honest, I, I didn't know who you're going to come up with. I, but man, to come up with that timeline, you know, very recent present history. No, I didn't expect it, but that was a good catch. Good one. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you. And and I don't want to, I don't want anybody to get anything wrong. This is our top five. This doesn't mean that there's not, you know, plenty and plenty of generals that are, are better or worse. Like you said, this is all opinionated. This is who mm-hmm. we believe to be the best fit or whatever. So going based off that, definitely number one, James Mad Dog Mattis. Perfect. So this man, born September 8th, 1950. Okay, death. He's not dead yet, so uh-huh. <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Never been married, no children, living the dream. <laughs> wow. So a <laughs> warrior. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess just a little bit of history, and this is kind of, I'm going to kind of just try to go over this as quickly as possible because, you know, timelines and stuff. So... Uh, you know, Mad Dog Mattis, he enlisted in the Marine Corps in 1969. He attended Central Washington University as a part of the ROTC uh, program. He earned a bachelor's degree in 1971 and was commissioned as a second lieutenant the following year. He received a number of small unit commands during his time as a first lieutenant and later as a captain. Um, Upon his promotion to major, Mattis oversaw uh, the Marine Recruiting Station in Portland, Oregon. So after being... Have you really? Yes, I've been to Portland. So have you. I know you've been there as oh, well. I, I thought you were talking more exclusively as uh, the training camp. I was like, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> you know, actually, speaking of, before you go on, the Fort Vancouver, right over the uh, 
Columbia River there was a Civil War barracks. Uh, Grant was there prior to the Civil War. Oh, no way. Yeah, he was. <laughs> okay. There you go. There's a little tidbit <laughs> right there. there. In the area, I'm like, hey, I just remember that. Or we Might can as well. go to a story and be with Goonies. So, there's... <laughs> 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 so after being promoted to lieutenant colonel he deployed to uh the persian gulf as a part of operation desert shield and commanded the first battalion seventh marine regiment in the persian gulf war as one of the lead assault elements of the first marine division's regimental combat team seven or task force ripper madison's battalion was one of the first into kuwait uh, Mads was awarded a Bronze Star for Valor, and upon his promotion to Colonel, he received one of the Marine Corps' uh, higher, not really so known because it's pretty rare um, honor to get, is Edson's Eagles. Uh, the rank, uh, it, it's it's first it was first worn by the legend by the legendary um, Commander Merritt Edson, um, which is pretty much given to the Colonel who best exemplifies Edson's fighting spirit, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. Mattis wore that, uh, that, that, that medal um, from 1955 until his promotion to Brigadier General in 1997, um, in which he pretty much, after I just gave it to another colonel. Um, let's see here. So Mattis received command of the 1st Marine um, Expeditionary Brigade, and during the planning stages of the Afghanistan War, he was chosen to lead Task Force 58. Uh, Task Force 58 consisted of two U.S. Navy amphibious readiness groups, and Mattis was the first Marine to be given such a command. So there you go. There's that. <laughs> uh, Afghanistan uh, presented an obvious challenge to the amphibious assault forces. Um, however, Mattis brokered a secret agreement with the government of Pakistan to provide landing beaches and access to an airstrip. Task Force 58 was airlifted into Afghanistan in late November 2001 and uh, was instrumental in the capture of Kandahar, a city regarded as the spiritual home of the Taliban. So he was in there. He was definitely in there. You know, he was on the line. (laughs) So promoted to Major General, he led the 1st Marine Division during the early stages of the Iraq War, overseeing the longest sustained overland advance in Marine Corps history. Uh, Mm -hmm. The division returned to the United States in late 2003, but redeployed to Iraq the following year. And Mattis uh, uh, led the Marine assault on Al-Fallujah, in May 2004, Mattis received his third star, and he was assigned to the Marine Corps Combat Development Command in uh, Quantico, Virginia. There he uh, sought to decimate the lessons learned in Iraq and Afghanistan to troops in the field, and he worked with the U.S. Army General David uh, Petraeus on Field Manual th- uh, 324, a comprehensive counterinsurgency document. Um, and um let's see going going from there um i guess he's just known to be blunt and provocative and let's see in in one of his I have a little tidbit here which is another one of his quotes which was in 2005 he described members of the taliban as a uh, fun to shoot so he definitely doesn't care <laughs> yeah, he is. um he was described by his peers as a warrior monk um and he was just, he had like a spiritual way of viewing war and combat as a whole. Um, he established the Center for Advanced Operational Culture Learning, a training academy for Marine officers and senior enlisted personnel to instill cultural awareness and language skills. And he emphasized the hearts and minds approach to counterinsurgency operations. In 2007, 
Mattis was promoted to general and was chosen to lead Joint Forces Command, a training planning unit that oversees the integration of the various uh, branches of military service into a cohesive fighting force. So after General Stanley um, McChrystal uh, was, uh, where was I, was relieved as head of U.S. and NATO forces in Afghanistan in 2010, a command shuffle ensued with Petraeus assuming McChrystal's role and Mattis replacing Petraeus as head of uh, CENTCOM. Mattis held that position until his retirement from the Marine Corps in 2013. So I guess all that was kind of just like his timeline, I suppose, until his retirement. Uh And this man came a long way. Yeah, he definitely showed. Yeah, he's he's fearless, man. This guy's he's just a straight up beast. (laughs) Jeez, you know, hearing that, you almost think that he gave George Patton a run for his money. You would certainly think so, man. This guy, and like the thing is, is like it's all psychological, right? He's like, you know, like use your brain as your weapon. He's over here just kind of being more dapper rather than, you know, like Custer, like, oh, we're going to go just run in there and kill them all. Like, you know, he's actually, he's got a plan. He's got his mindset and he's, he's not scared of anything. You know, it's just the fearless leader leadership. Right. I mean, even in the interviews that I've seen him conduct or, you know, uh, conferences during the war, he definitely does have that uh, characteristic about him. Yeah, absolutely. And he's very, you know, timid and mm-hmm. yeah, blunt, like to the point, like, you know, he'll say what he wants to say. And that's pretty good leadership. And my understanding is a lot of his troops always look real high, highly of him anyways. Oh yeah. I mean, like, especially like the, the, the era that he served, you know, like being like going to all those different wars, being in that era where combat was just, you know, another thing, like just, just his leadership and whatnot was, you know, something that I'm sure that a lot of, you know, soldiers were looking for at that time, you know, just somebody who could, you know, amp them up beforehand and kind of get them, you know, the hype that they need to, you know, follow his leadership. Definitely. And I I think that's very important. You know, you got to lead by example and people follow, especially if they respect you. Yeah. That's not bad. I got to admit that this that threw a curveball. I wasn't expecting that. You know, we should have done something at the beginning of this where it kind of did. All right. I give you one guess and kind of got to see. But I guess with the amount of generals the United States has had over roughly 240 years, it's kind of hard. <laughs> yeah, that would be an hour on its own. <laughs> well, except if somebody mentioned Benedict Arnold, it'd be really. But, oh. <laughs> well, he wasn't really, he was continental, then he switched, but yeah, you get my point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I totally get it. Okay. Yeah. That was good. So back I, at you. <laughs> back at me. Okay. Yep. Balls in your court. All right. Well, suspense factor. Okay. Drum roll. Drum roll. <laughs> suspense. All right. So I'm going to go with a earlier timeline. Um, not going to give any hints like Austin did. That was well played, by the way, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going to go back in time, and uh, probably at the end of this, I'll kind of give my opinion of why I chose this individual. Um, but let's uh, let's jump right into this one. Uh, for my first star general, I am going with John J. Blackjack Pershing. Oh wow! <laughs> yes, uh, no one knows who is. I went there. Um, yeah, World War One, all that. Uh, here's what I got, a little background on him. All right, so John Joseph Blackjack, and I'll get to his reasoning for the Blackjack name in a little bit. Pershing, born September 13th, 1860. 
died July 15, 1948. He was a senior United States Army officer. He served most famously as the commander of the American Expeditionary Forces on the Western Front during World War I. Pershing, 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 Pershing was born on a farm in Lassilia, uh, in Missouri, to John Fletcher Pershing and Anne Elizabeth Thompson. Later, he would marry Helen Frances Warren, who was actually a daughter of a senator for the United States. They had three daughters, Mary Ann and Helen. He also had one son named Francis Warren. Unfortunately, on August 27, 1915, while he was down in Mexico, Texas border, a fire swept through their San Francisco home, killing all but the young Francis Warren, his only son. Pershing was, Pershing was sworn in as a West Point cadet in the fall of 1882. He graduated the summer of 1886, ranked 30th in his class out of 77, and was commissioned a second lieutenant. He was commended by his West Point superintendent, General Wesley Merritt, who said of Pershing, I quote, gave early promise of becoming an outstanding officer, unquote. He would serve during the Spanish-American War as first lieutenant Pershing was the regimental quartermaster for the 10th Cavalry. He fought on Kettle and San Juan Hills in Cuba and was cited for gallantry. Later, Pershing would report to Manila in the Philippines on August 17, 1899, during the American-Filipino War. It was assigned departments of Midano and Jolo. After serving as an observer during the Russo-Japanese War, he was then attached to General Corky Kamamito's Japanese First Army in Manchuria from March to September in 1905. He would return home where President Roosevelt, an old buddy of his from Cuba, by the way, employed his presidential prerogative and nominated Pershing as a brigadier general, a move which Congress would later approve. Fast forward. On March 15, 1916, Pershing led an expedition to Mexico to capture Pancho Villa. This expedition was ill-equipped and hampered by a lack of supplies due to the breakdown of the quartermaster corps. I would get to the real tidbit about him. He was officially installed on May 10, 1917, and he would hold this post until 1918, where he'd become major general of the National Army. Pershing was responsible for the organization, training, and supply of a combined professional and draft army and the National Guard force that eventually grew from roughly 156,000 inexperienced men to two armies with a third forming at the end of the end of 1918, totaling over 2 million soldiers. Now, there was another problem that he faced while he was in charge of the AEF. It was a war on two fronts. One was against the Germans, the other against his own allies himself. Pershing rejected British and French demands that American forces be integrated with their armies and insisted that the AEF would operate as a single unit under his command. The French and British leaders found him to be stubborn for his lack of consideration of using American troops in French and British units. Pershing was persistent that America would fight independently from its allies. There were also political motivation, motives behind it from the Wilson administration. Upon taking command, he found the state of the military lacking for field combat. 
Here's what he found when he took command in early 1917. 285,000 Springfield spring rifles, 400 light field guns, and 150 heavy field guns. At this time, the manufacturing sector was not set up to par with the demands of the military. So at that point, America and Pershing would have to purchase munitions from the French government. By the time Pershing was able to get his first division over to France, they would be completely supplied from both France and Britain. Another lacking component to the American fight force was the lack of aviation. In 1917, the Signal Corp of the Air Service sector had 55 training planes, and out of 55 officers, only 35 could fly them. So one can see the problems he faced at the beginning, just getting this force up to speed that would be later shipped to France. So I have this kind of this conclusion to kind of go with him uh, a little bit longer, but uh, it kind of sells my point. Mm-hmm. So under my category, wisdom, according to historian Jeffrey Parrott, Pershing had been an avid pra- <laughs> check this out, practicer of hazing as an upper class <laughs> before graduating in 1886. Classic. When he returned as a tack, he was in charge of cadet discipline. In 1897, he took a, quote, perfectly ordinary group of cadets and made them hate him. <laughs> so this <laughs> dude was winning people over. Turn of events. <laughs> yep. Pershing's methods amounted to... <laughs> of leadership and a living definition of Marinette. I guess I can make sense there. (laughs) I believe this made him realize the effect troops must be put to the test. Being a tough leader is the best way to get results. This would prove wise later at the Meuse-Argonne Offensive. So for me, I got integrity. The offensive was marked by Pershing's failure the Meuse-Argonne Offensive, specifically his reliance on mass infantry attacks with little artillery support, which led to high casualty rates in capturing three key points. Pershing was forced to reorganize the AEF with the creation of the Second Army and to step down as the commander of the First Army. I feel he knew his own limitations during this time. Instead of having an ego or having too much pride in himself, he backed off, allowed his subordinates to take up some other responsibility. This shows integrity in itself. So effectively, he wasn't a great tactician, and he recognized this, and he stepped back. Or he could have been egotistical and kept going, made the situation worse, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of like that. Uh, compassion. Because of his efforts, because of the effects of trench foot on soldiers' feet in January 1918, Pershing oversaw the creation of an improved combat boot. The 1918 trench boot, which became known as the Pershing boot upon its introduction, just essentially, he spent time to realize the conditions of his troops by creating something new that would ultimately help them out. He was able to understand their concerns. So, obviously, he was taking in the considerations of his troops and trying to make improvements. Yeah, see, that's very, that's very like admirable because I know that, you know, trench foot was like a very serious thing. So, and I actually didn't even know that, that he actually did that. So that's, that's <clears> big <throat> points for him. <laughs> I 
did not know that either until I read through there, and I was like, wow, what do you know? Yeah. He definitely was involved with that. <clears throat> so as I was doing this research, I was finalizing everything uh, earlier today, and I, I ran into this story about him, and I kind of felt that it kind of fit in with the – integrity and compassion and it's a really interesting story so uh, i'm going to throw this in here uh regarding pershing from an incident that happened uh and a particular individual that most people's probably heard of his names so last bit showing a side with no ego only that of integrity and compassion for the situation here's a story goes as this october 3rd 1917 Pershing heads to an inspection of the 1st Division. What he finds leaves, leaves him, let's say, in a sour mood. Afterwards, he calls over two staff officers. Those include were Major General William L. Siebert, who, according to Siebert, Pershing raised hell with them, quote, <laughs> and mostly directed it at Siebert himself. Following the outburst, a major actually approached Pershing to kind of stop and talk to him and kind of Pershing looked back and kind of gave him a nasty third degree look. <laughs> but this major was really persistent. So he actually put his hand on the general's arm to kind of stop him. And as he did this, he said he had to tell him the truth. So Pershing kind of looks back and he wants to, okay, what do you have to say, major? Here's what the major says to him. <clears throat> Quote, the promised platoon manuals that never arrived and had set back training. The inadequate supplies that left men walking around with gunny sacks on their feet. The inadequate quarters that left troops scattered throughout the country slide, sleeping in barns for a penny a night. The lack of motor transport that forced troops to walk miles to the training grounds. Finally, the luge subsided. Pershing looked at the major and calmly said, you must appreciate the troubles we have. Here's what the major replied back to him. Yes, I know you do, General. I know you do. But ours are immediate and every day and have to be solved before night. The major in question was none other than George C. Marshall, who would have an important role in the next war. So if anyone's ever heard of the Marshall Plan after World War II, this is the guy. Huh. Yep. So following this encounter, Pershing would again visit the 1st Division where he reached out to Marshall himself about the progress. Marshall was never worried about getting reprimanded, by the way. Pershing, in fact, enjoyed that Marshall was direct as he could to get the truth out of him. Later, Marshall would be promoted to Colonel Fox Connor, and after the war itself, he was on Pershing's own staff. Huh. He didn't mind people being direct with him. It was the admittance of being wrong. He didn't have the ego. He didn't place himself in line to just be the, the head honcho and the Mr. Know-it-all and, you know, the big tough boss. I'm the boss. What I say goes. He listened to subordinates. He took, you know, other information. He even took criticism. He was getting a lot of criticism in the political aspect for both France and Britain during that time. And hmm. I think that this allowed him to 
really did his job well. You know, uh, you know, another thing, you know, his courage. I mean, he was on the front lines. I mean, even during the Muse are gone, he was he was down there visiting lines, making sure everything was good, everything they needed to do. So he wasn't shy. He wasn't a Chateau General, as they like to call those <laughs> guys during World War One. Yep. Sounds but, like uh, had some pretty good character. They don't make them like that anymore. <laughs> as far yeah. as even just everyday leadership, like anywhere. <laughs> and, and I've only known a little bit about him. And when I was doing the research for who I was going to come up with at this point, I was kind of kind of surprised by the uh, stuff I was, you know, hearing about him. Um, but, you know, it, it, this is, this is why I picked him. And I know we're going to do this part where we're going to discuss why we've chosen these generals in the positions that we have. Yeah. Um, why don't you tell me? I'm just curious why you chose Mad Dog for your first star. Well, you know, obviously, you know, there there was plenty. There was handfuls upon handfuls of guys that could have taken his his spot. But I mainly just going over review, going over, you know, looking at looking, you know, kind of just like reflecting on, you know, certain generals. The only ones that could really pop into my mind were, you know, older, older, older generals. And I was like, man, there's got to be something newer. You know, I'm 21, uh-huh. so I'm like, I want to incorporate a good leader who is recent, you know, somebody who's recent, somebody uh-huh. st- st- who, you know, still has that 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 legacy going and, you know, that, that, that reputation and whatnot to where I can kind of relate. Somebody that I personally have some sort of knowledge on, you know, somebody uh-huh. who, you know, seen on TV, seen all over the place, whatever. And it was just, it, it's, it's just something that was probably easier for me to kind of understand as far as research goes and, you know, the material that I wanted to share goes because it's recent, you know, it's, it, it didn't happen long ago. It was all within, you know, a little bit before I was born and time after. So it was definitely, but it was definitely a hard choice. There were definitely some that I was just kind of like, Ooh, like on the fence about this, but I think going forward, going up my list, I they I, I I'm pretty impressed with the selection, and you'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> okay, was there anybody that you you kind of cut? You say that was there anybody in your mind who you bounced off this? Was it did, did you come down to you know Mad Dog and another guy, another general, and then do you? cut them out of the equation for some reason oh yeah i mean there were there were a bunch and some of them i even just kind of um you know if i was torn between two of them i kind of had to take a step back and say okay we can put them both on the list but we have to find the proper placement um you know stuff like that so you know my my two and three general might have been some people, you know, two guys that I was kind of like on the fence about for one spot. And I was just, I came to the conclusion that, you know what, these are both good leaders. They both deserve a spot on the list, but let's, let's prioritize them. You know, let's, let's take a look at both of them, kind of narrow it down and find a spot for both of them on the list. Okay. That's fair. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, For myself, uh, the reason I went with, Pershing in this position was um, 
I was looking for somebody that if you're starting from scratch, you know, who's somebody historically that was able to do that, you know, great strength and courage to be able to just deal with a daunting task. And that's why I came to the conclusion with him, because I mean, look, it took, you know, a great courage to stand up to all these foreign political leaders and all these generals who were just bugging them to just get the American troops in, you know, you know, fight, fight with us, fight with us, you know, and he wanted to keep them as one, one army, you know, under American leadership, we're going to fight independently. We're not going to be some subordinate. We're freaking America. You know, they, they weren't going to, he wasn't going to do that. And I think that he should get a lot of credit for doing that. On top of that, he took, you know, like I said, 156,000 untrained, roughly trained and built it up to a 2 million man army in a year and a half. I mean, so most people don't recognize too that the American fighting force for World War One wasn't even at full capacity. That wasn't going to happen until almost 1920. So where we were as a fighting force when that you know the armistice was signed in November of 18, it was only half. We were supposed to have four million in France by the time 20 came around. So you got to give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah, no, it's impressive. It is impressive. So that's why I chose to put him in the number one spot because, look, I don't need a tactful a guy uh, in that position. I need somebody who can get it organized, disciplined, and ready to steamroll. And uh, when I come up with my, uh, you know, two, three, and four, then we're going to get some freaking warriors in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, I mean, the guys that, they, that are at the top of the list, they're just going to get more fierce and whatnot. And, I'm really excited to see, you know, the following weeks, you know, see what we have. Cause there's like, you know, this is obviously like the pilot episode where like, we're uh-huh. kind of feeling it out, you know, whatever. And I kind of want to change my formatting for next time, you know, just to kind of keep it fresh and keep it new and whatnot. So this is a good, like little reflection. This is a good way to start things off. No, it definitely is. I believe that as we move forward, we're, we're learning uh, more about this uh, format that we we're going to adapt and um, we'll see what kind of generals we come up with in the, in the coming weeks. You know, we still got four more to go. Uh, all this is actually going to be uploaded onto our the Facebook page for this show. Uh, so follow along on there. Uh, give a shout out. There's email. Definitely. If anybody's got questions or they want anything, they didn't hear, or maybe they, maybe there's something you know that we don't know. By all means, like I said before on my uh, intro video the other day, I am I'm not a historian. Austin admits he's not a historian. So hey, far from throw something <laughs> our way, right? Throw something towards us, you know, that we don't know. You know, feel the need to know. It's always it's always helpful. You know, definitely sharing knowledge. That's all that matters. Yeah. Which hey, real quick. What I wanted to kind of yes. mention, um, going back to the whole uh, Mattis thing or whatever, this is, this is just something mm-hmm. that I found out that was kind of an interesting find when I was doing my research. So uh, Desert Shield, which I don't know if people know, but that was the preparation operation for Desert Storm. That was just kind of getting things ready, preparing whatnot for the big attack and uh, or the big fight. And um, I actually found a forum of people who were talking about spouses, family members, whatnot, who were actually in, Des- in Operation Desert Shield 
And it turns out that a lot of a, a lot of people were coming back saying that they were using nerve agents as chem- as chemical warfare on the U.S. Mm-hmm. troops. And I was like, whoa! So like, just discovering that, you know, like, and this thing, this whole this whole series is cool because you know it's a learning experience for me, and it's a uh, it's it's a good opportunity to learn. It, it is. I mean, that's kind of what the point of all this is is to explore, you know, things that in depth it normally wouldn't go. I mean, look. Pershing wasn't somebody that I'm normally going to just, you know, pick up, you know, pick a book up off the shelf and start reading about. I mean, I got plenty of books on different, you know, historical figures, but it just never drawn to it. But it was, I was going through the more I was intrigued by them. And now I'm kind of like, maybe I should buy something. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Actually for this, I actually did pick up his, um, it was a book he wrote in the twenties about his uh, war experience. It was on, uh, Amazon, if you have Amazon, you get Kendall, you can actually pick this up for 99 cents, surprisingly. Oh, wow. So um, it's interesting. It's, it's definitely, that's where he's talking about all that stuff. So if anybody's you know, interested and wants to learn a little bit more about him, uh, can, he's got a book out there written in the 20s, but hey, you can get it on Amazon for 99 cents. Yeah, sl- slide that link over to the Facebook page for him. Yeah, I'll bring it up there, throw that in there for you know reference points. Yeah, for sure. But for sure. definitely, um, there was something else I was going to bring up about it too. But what you were talking about with the nerve agent stuff, there I remember hearing conversations about that years ago. If they were doing it, and it's almost like a hush hush thing. It's almost like they didn't want it to be told for some reason. But yeah, yeah, it's very low key. But yeah, I saw it. Mm-hmm. I was like, whoa. <laughs> well, see, that's the fun part about doing these historical studies is you're always going to run into something you didn't know before. Oh, exactly, exactly. I couldn't agree more. Well, we'll see how that all goes in the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. you know, honestly, who knows? Like, going over this, I might even change my number five. I don't even know. You know, just doing all this <laughs> research, I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, it, there's a wide array of characters you could pick from. Oh, yes, there is. <laughs> You know, I'm just curious as we do this if we're actually going to like interlock where we do a show where we have the same person. I just would be funny. Oh, you know, I bet we will. <laughs> I'm sure. If I know I'm you, sure. I'm sure we will. <laughs> uh, that's going to yeah. be a good episode. <laughs> oh, wow. I can only imagine how that would go. <laughs> but, you know, we should see where this takes us. Um, uh, I think it's about Coors time on my end. Ooh, yeah, I agree. I agree. Sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> well, um, I'd like to say thank you to all those listening. Hopefully we, we've built the numbers. Uh, I want to thank Austin for coming on, working with me on this project, this grand envisionment that I have. Um, this is something to start with. By all means, you know, we got we have a few things lined up in the future. Obviously, this is just a start. So I want to thank him for the hard work that he's helped me put in in the last uh, few weeks here to get this rolling. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thank you for having me on your show. It's a uh, it's it's a it's a pleasure, you know, just because like I said, it's a learning experience. You know, it's 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 new. Mm-hmm. It's 
I, I'm honestly just really excited to, you know, like, honestly, if it were up to me, I would just record all five episodes tonight, <laughs> you know, like, that's how, that's how hyped up I am about it. And it's like, you know, I'm just excited to see where this goes. And I, I'm the same way I could have done the whole thing, but I'm like, yeah, we got to break it down. We got to have some suspense here. Um, and we will, I mean, look, don't take us wrong. This is just something we've been uh, shotgunning for a few weeks to come up with this kind of format. There's going to be other uh, other shows where we talk about different topics. Uh, we're definitely going to want to get different people on to talk to them about, again, like I said, if you're into history and you want to come on the show and talk about stuff that you're proficient at, that you study, by all means, we have a Facebook page. Like I said, Not Your Normal History. You can find us on there. Uh, there's an email address also in the About page. Shoot us a line. Say, hey, I want to, why don't you guys talk about this? Or, hey, I'd like to come on. Uh, I've doesn't listen to this come on let us know what well, i am open to hearing anything i like hearing stories um it's it's fun history is fun and it should be engaged by everybody because it's just people telling stories of the past so you know give us a like give us a shot and i want to thank you for listening and uh we will be back this time next week yep. austin anything to say in closing no, just uh, just make sure uh, you like it, share it, you know, spread the word, whatnot, get that exposure out there, because I'm sure somebody out there could use the information. And uh, stay safe during these crazy times, everybody. Stay safe. Stay safe, people. Stay safe. All right. Have a good night.